somebody asked me the other day if I have any tattoos. And I said, no, I don't have a single tattoo, not anywhere on my body. And she asked me why. And I said, I don't think there's just anything I love enough that I want permanently inked on my body forever. And she looked at my two kids and was like, what about them? What about their names? What about Sandler's logo? His logo is a broken skateboard with his name on it. And I half jokingly said, mm-hmm, you know, they're still young. They could really screw things up and make me regret having their portrait or their names on my body. <laughs> she gave me kind of a sideways glance like, wow, rude. And then she said, okay, what about your mom? And I thought, my mom. Now there's a loaded topic right there, my mom. And then I thought back to all the people I know, and so many of them have mom tattooed on their body, or they'll have the heart with the banner that says mom, or they have their mom's name, or something symbolic of their, their mother. And I thought, yeah, thank God I never got that, because my mom, unlike most moms, she was a horrible person. And I started thinking about my mother, and I, I do often, not in a bad way, not in a sad way. But in a way where I really realized how fortunate I am that she was as bad as she was because my mom, though I didn't have her, fortunately, tattooed onto my body anywhere, really left a permanent ink mark and <laughs> imprint in my whole being and the way that I parent. And what I do is do everything completely opposite of what she would have done and what she did. I'm Nikki Lynn Chase. This is Adult Chicken, my podcast about my adventures, my journey, and all of my stories that have to do with navigating life's unexpected as a single mom of two special needs kids. My becoming a mom of my first special needs kid, Bootsy, I thought that would be sort of the the life-changing experience, the life-changing moment that would make my mom finally proud and and I would get her approval. And that wasn't the case. <laughs> I tried. But she, my mom, gosh, she was very open about how much she didn't like me from, from the get-go. She, in fact, she told me, she was very honest. She told me things you don't tell your kid ever. And she explained to me at a very early age that she and my dad, they had my brother and they wanted my brother. And he's two years older than I am. And then it came time to have a second child and I was that one. And I guess they didn't have at that time that you didn't find out the sex of your, your baby. And I came out and I was a girl. And she told me, and I quote her, she looked at the doctor and she was pissed. And she said, can you put it back? <laughs> Again, I don't know why you tell your kid this. It's not, I didn't choose. And she said, you were supposed to be a boy. You're, we were going to name you James. We were going to call you Jimmy. And apparently they had had this whole plan for, for what my life was supposed to be, and it was not. So I derailed their, uh, their dreams of having two boys. And she was very candid about letting my friend's parents know how much she didn't like me. And I just had this little way about myself where I – I always just thought if I try harder, if I do more, I will impress my mom. I will make her proud of me. I will get her approval in one way, shape, or form. And that never happened. So my mom eventually sells my 
childhood home and she'd lived there for about 35 years and most of the people I knew growing up and that knew my mom from years and years and years ago were so impressed with her and oh my gosh what a free spirit like a like a gypsy you know she's selling everything and buying an RV and it wasn't that endearing of a story my mom literally couldn't function in society and she shouldn't be driving a car because she was always drunk and she'd gotten to be such a bad alcoholic that she didn't she couldn't be in a normal setting she needed to be on the on the road and park in woods and forests and things like that because shouldn't have been around anybody and she was a horrible mean bitter nasty drunk and so she would take her little RV and she would go to different places throughout the the country where it was warmer during the winter and then she would gravitate towards back to Colorado in the summertime and she would park at a at a campground and get herself a campground host job near uh, where I was living outside of Vail, Colorado and it was beautiful and I liked the idea of her being there and I was about 30 at this point and I had just had Bootsy and I still had this this idea in my head that she'd get better. She, I'd, I'd impress her by having a daughter and having a job and I still wanted her approval oddly enough but I still had enough resentment where I wanted to fuck with her because she was an asshole and she was a drunk asshole. So she had come one summer Bootsy's about a year old and she'd parked the RV she got herself her job her her vest she wore a little vest for the the campground job hosting the campground and so there she was she felt very important which is great she found herself a very important position and she bragged to everybody that she was my mom. It was a very small town, right? So anybody that would come that she knew was local, she'd make sure that she let them know she was a mom, which that was kind of mortifying to me. I didn't need anybody to know my mom was the drunk campground host, but whatever, paybacks. <laughs> so one, one summer evening, I brought Bootsy to the campground and I'm hanging out with my mom and I knew she'd be lit up like a Christmas tree and have her drink gin, just just disgusting to me so I knew she'd be about half a half a bottle into her gin and uh, I we had a a gorilla suit and I thought it'd be really funny to kind of trick her and just tell her a story just mess with her you know I felt kind of like it was my my own sweet innocent revenge you know you kind of made my life hell for eternity so we're gonna mess with you a little bit so harmless (laughs) totally harmless messing with so I went to visit with her and came up with this elaborate story and there was this big cliff house on the cliffs that sort of bordered the the campground in the river the river that flowed through the valley and there's this huge cliff house and I had known stories that the guy had Arabian horses and it was veil people have crazy money that they don't know what to do with I we knew at some point this this one guy had exotic animals or whatever so just kind of put a collage of those stories together and told my mom that the guy in the cliff house had 
exotic animals. And you're not going to believe this, mom. He had a gorilla that escaped. And again, my mom's half half a jug into her gin. And, she, you know, she kind of peeked up like, this is an exciting story. I said, yeah, he... His gorilla escaped. They're looking for it. And there's a big reward. Well, my mom had a, a thing for money. Everything was about money. And always wanted to get her hands on money. Like she was a big, money-hungry, greedy human. She heard that word reward. And, I mean, she really perked up. So I know that my ex is putting a gorilla suit on and we had this whole thing orchestrated that he'd go across the river and you know sit there and I'd point him out and oh god it was it was best funniest prank in the world so after shortly after I tell my mom that story that several minutes go by and I see him walking way across the river and I look I, I say mom look at there it's a, a big bear or something there's a big animal over there um, and she stops in her tracks and she's like, oh my God, Nikki, it's the gorilla. It's the gorilla. And I, inside, I'm just dying laughing and I'm holding Bootsy and I'm like, this is the best show I've ever put on. Like I, what a, what a great production. She grabs her cell phone and she calls freaking 911. And I'm like, oh shit. That wasn't supposed to happen. And she goes, hello, hello, this is Amy, the campground host of Wolcott, Colorado, and I am calling because I see the gorilla that escaped from the cliff house. And I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. She sounds like a freaking batshit crazy lunatic. And she doesn't stop there. She says, and I know there's a reward. There is a reward. I see the gorilla that has escaped. Well, Right after that, again, we're in Vail, Colorado. So it's not unheard of that people have exotic animals. And it's 911. And she, they have to respond. Again, we're in a valley. I hear police cars come from both west and east. So they're coming into the, the campground. And I'm thinking, oh, shit. Oh, shit. So... The gorilla <laughs> is waving across this, the, the river. And I try to signal, like, get, get going, gorilla. Like, you've got to get out. Like, go, run. We hear the cops. Like, the, they're coming from both directions. And, and they get to the, to the campground. And they come directly to where her RV is parked and where we're sitting. And I'm thinking, oh, oh, God, I've got... I've got this baby. I'm going I'm going to jail. I, I oh my god. I go into the RV and just kind of hide out. And my mom again, she's hammered and she's telling the police as they are writing this down, telling them that she knows it's the gorilla that escaped as if there are tons of gorillas running around the mountains of Colorado. So she's explaining that she knew it was that particular gorilla that escaped that there's the big reward for because it waved at her and so it was a friendly gorilla. And I'm thinking, oh, fuck. Oh, boy. Meanwhile, 
all the newspapers, again, it's a very small town. So all the newspaper-like people have picked up on the police scanner this exciting report that my mom, the campground host of Wolcott, Colorado, has spotted the friendly gorilla that escaped from the cliff house. (laughs) And I'm dying, going, oh my God. I don't know if there's a penalty for saying there's, for this kind of, production I don't am I gonna get in trouble am I is my kid's dad gonna get shot in a gorilla suit and I don't think they really believed my mom but then there was another camper that I hadn't seen and he'd been fishing in the river and he came over and validated that it wasn't a bear that he said he saw a gorilla too so at this point the police are trying to figure out if they catch this gorilla (laughs) what they're going to do with it. And if they're going to, do they have space? Can they put it in a a jail cell? So finally, I'm like, oh God, this has gone way too far. And I went out and they wanted to question me. And I said, look, my, she's got a terrible drinking problem. And I think it was probably a bear. I don't know what the other guy saw, but I think it was a bear. I got nervous. I went into the, the RV and they went finally along their merry way. I think that I at least convinced them that she was just a drunk, crazy lady in her defense. She did see a gorilla. It was a friendly one, kind of. After the gorilla experience, I think I finally was really starting to realize that her wet brain was so beyond repair or coming back that I let it go that I'd ever have any sort of relationship with her. Um, not because she believed in gorillas in Colorado, <laughs> but more so just because she wasn't going to change. And I didn't figure at that late stage and how she's now in a, a mobile uh, RV home type scenario that she was just probably going downhill. So I end up getting a, a message from her and it, I think she actually sent in the mail uh, an article about the, it was a National Geographic actually, and it was all about the Salton Sea. And she had bought, I'm going to quote unquote her, a uh, property, which meant a trailer. And <laughs> I, I read a little bit of the article and I I did call my brother and I said, are, are you, did you get the same National Geographic that mom sent me? Um, now, she was an educator. She was a bright woman. Um, are you reading this? Because it basically, it sounds like an Aaron Brockovich story. Like this is a cesspool. I mean, it doesn't sound like somebody, would anybody on purpose move there? The Salton Sea out in the desert, uh, it's all about uh, toxic lake um from what I gather and she's bought property like she's bragging about this like this is odd um so I really knew at that time like she was done and I had to in my in my own way kind of come to terms with who she was and what she was and the fact that she never liked me and when I had Sandler which is right around the time she decided she was going to go from an RV which at least that kind of made her seem 
almost cool. Like she could have been a free spirit. I could kind of play along with that. But this was a, she was buying a trailer in the Salton Sea and going to go live there. Um, so I finally was like, you need to come to terms. And I had had Sandler and she hated Sandler. She absolutely hated him. And there was no sugarcoating it for myself or for anybody else. She was very adamant and very open about how much she hated him. And I realized, okay, she did in fact hate you. And Sandler is an extension of you. She sees you in Sandler. He's the second child. Uh, she doesn't think you should have had him. He has the, the disorder and she blames him. And she blames him as she did you for everything that went wrong in her life. And she sees him as a burden as as I phrased so uneloquently in my in my first podcast she called him a retard and Bootsy was different because she knew Bootsy for a couple of years before we knew something was going on and Bootsy didn't have the label but Sandler was different he he came out and I knew before I was quiet about that pregnancy uh she didn't know I was pregnant with him for quite some time but there was just so much anger and resentment and disgust actually in that I had chosen to have a kid she blamed him for thinking that was why I stayed with the kid's father and I just had to come to that realization that it it was what it was and she is who she is and I can't change that I needed to find what I got out of her being my mom and the reason she was my mom and I sort of sat down with myself and said, you know why? Because she came to me when I was 12 and told me, okay, you're legally old enough to babysit, which there was no such thing. You were an okay, I, get, I can't believe anybody thought I was responsible enough at age 12 to have me look after their child, but I did. And that was kind of the standard age. And so she said, you can now, um, I'll cover your rent. And she called it rent. I was 12 years old and she called it rent. And she was doing me a big service by paying for my rent and the roof over my head. And I think she did talk me into thinking and appreciating that she paid for that. Um, and that, that was a plus and that, you know, I was really lucky to have her do that for me. And then she would pay for my food, but anything extra. And she owned a, t a tennis shop. And so she said I could still get clothes at her tennis shop for cost. But mind you, I'm 12 years old. And it, it wasn't uberly cool if you're forced to wear an Adidas track suit to school or a warm-up suit. Like, it was cool if w once I got into maybe the Beastie Boys a little bit, but it wasn't really. You didn't want to wear it warm-up suit or a sweatsuit every day to school so I learned at an early age at age 12 in particular to bust my ass if I wanted anything aside from food and clothes well then once I turned 17 or I went off to to college I was young for my age or younger in my classroom so I'm maybe 17, 18 years old, and I went to college, and college was the next thing where I learned I wasn't going to get the same help or, you know, they didn't sound like, she didn't sound like she believed in me. It was, you know, your brother's going to school, but he worked hard. He worked hard at tennis, and he did all these things, and he did things right, and you didn't do anything, so good luck. I think you're going to be better off getting a job, and I wanted to prove her wrong, and I busted my ass to get into school I busted my ass to get through school and I had to pay for school because I hadn't done things the way my brother had and so I 
kind of dove in there and appreciated that too because I thought, well, I was able to be resourceful. I had a great work ethic because of her and I got myself through school and I did really well in school. But I'd come back the first summer when I'd gone off to school and I'd come back and she said, and I, I thought she'd be happy I was home. Mom, all the other college kids, like they come home and their parents are elated and they, gosh, they've missed them so much. And my mom was like, you got to pay rent. But this is like the whole house. Anyway, she made me pay rent for a summer. I never went back. I never went back and stayed another minute in that house. I never went back to that house. But I was angry about that. But it was kind of the best thing that ever happened to me. And it made me very independent. And I was independent at a very young age. And I knew how to take care of myself at a very young age, 12, when I was legally old enough to babysit. So when I did leave Colorado, and I th- there still was this tiny, yucky longing that I wanted her to be proud of me, and she, and she just wasn't, and she was never going to be, and she was never going to accept Sandler, um, never going to accept the three of us as doing something right and good and uh, being part of something great, and that was okay. I mean, it just it, I didn't have any other choice but to be okay with it. And so she moves to this uh, trailer, now in a mobile home, but not one that she can actually drive around the country. And she moves there. And we stop communicating. We stop talking. She'd send, she once in a while, I'd get messages from her. And they were always pretty nasty or the victim of the world. And, oh, you know, you're going to be, mad and sad one day when I die and she'd create little things that were wrong with her I'm gonna have a heart attack and I learned after the first couple to just not repeat what she said I'm dying of this and you know at first it was alarming and that little I'm her daughter and this is my mom would kick in and you know I'd maybe reach out to my brother or reach out to somebody only to find that it was just her trying to get me to communicate with her so my mom and I just stopped. The communication stopped. I stopped talking to her. I I would know what was going on because my brother stayed in touch with her and communicated with her. But to be honest with you, I didn't want to know, and I didn't I didn't care. I, I'd gotten to the point where I had I had appreciated my life with her, I guess, and what she had taught me. I don't think I would have been as prepared for what um <laughs> what my future held if if she hadn't prepared me unintentionally the way she did it was kind of like boot camp for my my life and I appreciated that but that was all I could give that relationship was just a sound appreciation and head forward and be nothing like her be absolutely nothing like her as far as a mom to my own children and in 2018 it was the gosh I guess it was about March, maybe late February, my brother called me and he was living in the Cayman Islands still. And he called and he had gotten himself in a bit of a compromised situation. So he was unable to travel or leave the island. And he called me and he said, Hey, mom's in the hospital and she's on life support. And it took them nine days to find me and get a hold of me, meaning him, my brother. And, um, you've got to do something. He goes, I can't do anything. 
we might have had a little laugh because my mom, when she first decided to become the free spirit she wasn't, when she became the menace to society and took up residency in her RV, she always carried around a manila envelope. And it was a do not resuscitate, do not, I don't know, I never looked in the envelope. I just know the few times I saw her once she lived in her RV, she made sure I knew she had this manila envelope. And if they found her, you know, half dead, they were not to resuscitate her. And it was odd because she carried it everywhere she went and she had it in a specific spot in her RV as if anybody would know to look for it. But I guess RVs are pretty small. So hopefully, and I can't remember if it said something like in the event that you find me, I think was something like that on the front of it. Anyway, the first thing I thought when my brother said they found her unresponsive and put her in a hospital was about that envelope and I said well didn't they find the envelope it wasn't oh my gosh this is terrible it was oh shit they brought her back to life like why she I knew the one thing about my mother I knew is that she never and she would oddly talk about it way too much I don't want to be kept alive by tubes that was a phrase that came out of her mouth multiple times so I got off the phone with them and I kind of sat with myself and thought shit I'm the obvious person here like I'm down uh, or down I'm west of of the desert and she's only about an hour away I guess this is my my thing my responsibility I can't remember if I called or or how it went but I had to identify she hadn't put me down apparently they didn't have any connection to me or my name and my being her daughter so I called, I think, to give them permission to take her off of life support. And I struggled with it. I didn't have what I thought to be the right emotions. I started mourning the fact that I had never had a mom. I mourned the fact that I was missing. I didn't know how to feel, I guess. I didn't know what I was supposed to feel like. My mom was in a hospital. She'd been in intensive care for nine days before they even found somebody to tell and that was my brother who was living in another country and now I was in the mix and it was up to me to do something and I called my very very best friend who knew how my mom was and she knew my mom since we were in the third grade and her mom was on the receiving end of conversations with my mother about how much she hated me (laughs) and It's not funny. It's just true. I mean, it's a really weird reality when talking about myself that that was my mom. And I asked her, I said, what what the hell do I do? Like, she's on life support. She's on, they found her. She was unresponsive. They brought her back. Now she's on 24-hour, they they did say, and they had told my brother and he and I had discussed it, that, that she was more, most likely just completely brain dead. She had been no oxygen to her brain for I for a, how long I mean it took him forever to find her I don't honestly know how they found her in her trailer so I my friend said if you'll always wonder how you'll feel you should probably go there because I don't know if I'd had the discussion with the the doctor of the um, UCI or the yeah the intensive care unit if I'd had a conversation and 
I think I could, it was something I could do was sign off on something from afar, but I thought you're an hour away. You've got to go get her off of life support. That was the one thing your mother never wanted to be was kept alive by tubes. So I, I had to plan for my kids to be taken care of because I, I solely was their, their transportation. I was who they saw every day after school and I had sort of things lined up and back up. Okay, if I can't get here, they can't know what's going on because I, I don't even know how I will help them process that. They, she was a non-entity in our lives and I, I didn't want them getting upset knowing I was going through something. So it was all so strange and such a bizarre thing. So I just had, I had somebody on on call to pick Sandler up. He was the one I was most worried about and I thought I'd probably be able to get uh, back in time to, to get Bootsy. However that worked, I had backup. But Again, I, it's my first time dealing with such a, a situation. I have no idea what the time frame is here. So I drive to, to Palm Springs. I go to the hospital, and it's a very weird feeling. I walk in, and they ask me, and I have to show them my identification. And again, I'm, I'm searching for feelings. I don't know what, what they're supposed to be, but I'm wondering, how am I supposed to feel? Here's my mother. I haven't seen her. I haven't spoken to her in years. And... She's on life support, and I'm there to essentially unplug my mom. And they, I said something. The doctor was really glad I was there, and I got some sort of sentimental, uh, <laughs> sort of a strained, like a little, like I really pushed out some sort of sentence, sort of a empathetic sentence and I just said you know we weren't we weren't close but I'm glad I'm here and she wouldn't want to be kept alive like this I do know that for a fact and I signed some paperwork and they give me a few moments and I went over to my mom and I just said well it's kind of ironic that I'm here you're not alone I'm here it was awkward. I mean, it was, it's very awkward. And I said, Mom, you're an asshole. And you've always been an asshole. And you know what? I appreciate your being the asshole that you were and are because it made me the kind of mom I need to be. And you're not alone and you're not dying alone. And I sat there. Again, the awkward came back. But I was really glad I said what I said. It just came out. It was how I felt. And it gave me a peace that I realized I did appreciate everything my mother had been, even though it was horrible and awful. Again, I, I knew better. I didn't know different. So I wasn't suffering by having... She was abusive, but not in a physical way by by any means. And I didn't know it was what it was. But at that moment, I also realized that the way she was also allowed me to forgive myself for making some of the decisions and finding what I thought was love with the kid's dad who the abuse, that was familiar to me because that's how my mom was. And so it really, there were so many profound moments in that terrible 
eulogy, I guess, if you will, or, or that goodbye, more, more, more so of a goodbye. When I said what I said to her, I realized there was such a peace and a forgiveness of, you know what, you were exactly designed the way you were as a mom to prepare me for this life and to sort of allow me to understand why I would choose what I've chosen and the decisions I have made. I understand um, why. And it's because what you represented as love was what I grew to know as, you know, somebody being horrible and mean and hating me. That to me, I thought that was love. And so it made me really understand kind of some of the things and decisions I had made in my life. So I go to the front desk uh, to the doctor and I say, it's really quiet in there. It's a little awkward. And they tried so hard not to laugh. And they're like, well, she flatlined a couple minutes ago. And in my head, I'm thinking, you know, you could have let me know. Like, I've got to get back. I've got to go pick my kids up. It wasn't to make it like an insensitive event. It's just I literally needed to get back home and go pick up the kids. So I I sign off again. I sign something, and I don't know what I'm signing. And and before I get home, and I'm kind of cruising at a pretty pretty high speed, I needed to get back to the kids. And I get a phone call from the corner, the the deputy at the coroner's office, and. It was really quick that they called me back and she said, hey, did your mom have a, a drug problem? And I said, nope, uh, not that I know of. She used to drink a bucket of gin a day, but I don't know anything about drugs. I think she was even kind of, I thought she was afraid of Tylenol. I don't think she did opioids or anything like that. And she said, okay, well, we think it's an overdose. Like she had a large amount of um opioids I think in her system and I was shocked because it wasn't gin like what I don't think you've got the right mother like that's shocking and so they did end up um saying it was a, a suicide and I didn't know what I was doing so I didn't know what I was signing off on and I'm not really good at reading the fine print and I certainly didn't when it was when it came time to you know say goodbye to my mom and I became really good friends with the the deputy that had called me about how she had passed away and I didn't realize when that sort of thing happens you inherit a body and this sounds so terrible but I was kind of shocked. I'm like, well, don't, I don't, I didn't have a relationship with my mom. I don't have any money. Like, what am I supposed to do with her? There's no one, I can't throw a funeral. She doesn't have any friends. And I said, what do you do with people if they're not claimed? Certainly people go unclaimed. She said, Nikki, we, we would cremate them and they would have a, a mass, like a mass, they'd go into a mass grave. Okay, again, my sarcasm always gets me into trouble, but there was no other way I'm finding out. Like, I not only had to go and unplug my mom all by myself. You know, my brother couldn't get back to the, the country. My dad wanted nothing to do with the whole scenario. They'd been divorced, and he disliked her forever. And here I was thinking, I don't, I didn't even have a relationship with her. I wasn't even the kid she liked. And now I have in had to end her life. I've Now I have to 
throw her a funeral? Like, come on and inherit this body and it's not cheap. Start calling around. And I said, I said, do the mass grave thing. Like she hasn't had friends for 30 years. Like do that. She enjoy it. Like, come on. And so it's a time sensitive matter. So my mom is at the coroner's office. And again, I became very good friends with the, the deputy. And I just said, I, I'm going to need some time on this. And fortunately, the resourcefulness kicked in. <laughs> really brag about that, but it did. It kicked in. And I thought, I, who do I know in the business? I don't know anybody in the business. I've never had to do this sort of thing. And this is my mom. And I remembered we were in Special Olympics and one of the coaches that taught track and field or was a coach for a Special Olympics track and field, he had a daughter who was in, in the embalming business. And I thought, well, Nikki, embalming has something to do with what they do with bodies. So I called him. I said, hey, Coach Joe, is there any chance? I just, I'm getting all these. I'm flooded with calls. And I realized what a, gosh, people are vultures when it comes to death because it is time sensitive and they're needing you to hurry up and they know you need to make those decisions. And it's a tumultuous, crazy time and you're, you're lost and you have to do something about it. And so it was scary. I'm like, do you know anybody who will at least give me a fair price on, you know, the process, a cremation? And I, just a fair price, not something that's thousands of dollars. And he said, actually, my daughter, the embalmer, her fiance works at a crematory. And I thought, heck yeah. So anyway, I find somebody that's at least going to be fair and not gouge me and gouge the prices. And we went to Highland, California, which it looked like something out of deliverance. I kind of was looking around wondering if I was going to see the guy with the banjo. Um, it was a little uncomfortable. We went, I went to my first crematory, uh, hopefully my last, and I had the kids, of course, with me. And we looked around and Bootsy was just in awe. She didn't quite know what we were there for. She knew it had something to do with Grandma Amy, but we were looking at the urns. And she saw this really pretty marble pink one. And she's like, I think we should get that one. And I knew we were getting the package deal and the cheapest package deal we could get. And I kind of look at the, the urns on the floor that were brown and plastic. And I thought, mm-hmm. pretty certain that's what comes with our package deal. So th- th- this sweet guy takes care of it. It's a very uncomfortable process. And he takes care of it. And we end up going back to to get grandma Amy in the plastic brown box and we took her up to the mountains um I I learned a lot I learned that there's an identifying coin in the in the box and you need to be real careful um to make sure you know things are not present if you're not actually doing an official service if you will um you know those kind of things aren't allowed to just poof into the air uh you need to sort of there there are restrictions and rules and regulations so we weren't gonna quite uh, go through with following all the rules and regulations so we were taking her on it was spring break so we took her in the car 
might have let her sit in the front seat with a, with a seat belt. She was in a, a recycled bag in, in, the, in the box. And we, we took her to the mountains. And it, it took me a minute to be able to uh, do it. I was a little afraid of, of the, the, the ashes, I guess. And I couldn't do it. And so Sandler, he was he, no fear, never has any fear with anything. And he, it again, the irony continued because he was the one she couldn't stand. And he gave her the most beautiful eulogy and he was able to open the bag of ashes and he poured them out. And he, he said, you know, Grandma Amy, you didn't smell very good, but I hope you enjoy being with the tigers and the gorillas. And he didn't even know that story. And I thought, oh my God, this is, <laughs> this is really one of those profound services. And enjoy the bears and the squirrels. And then he looked at me and he dumped everything out. And Bootsy and I were standing a little ways away just not to get anything, any back wind or anything. And he said, okay, let's go get some ice cream. And and we did we did just that. And we drove to the ice cream store and we ended up having just a nice little mountain town visit. And uh, to this day, if and when we see a squirrel, the kids are certain that it's, in particular, there's a fat rabid squirrel at the skate park we go to and the kids are certain it's Grandma Amy. And as crazy as it sounds, I am eternally grateful that she was as awful and horrible and mean as she was because she did, and she was an asshole. And I, I am grateful she was the asshole she was, so I can be the mom that I am to my two kids. Today's special edition is extra special as I have two of my most favorite people in the entire world on the podcast today. I've got Sandler and Bootsy Chase. First up is Sandler, who is going to tell you all about his mom in lieu of Mother's Day. Sandler, take it away. Hello, people out there. Um, my name is Sandler Chase. My name is my mom, Nicole, and my Bootsy. Hi. Hi. I uh, like that introduction. Um, we, 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 she always vibe with me. I vibe with you. And then we True. always, we always skate. Yeah, you know, we always skate together. Do you think I'm a good skater? Yeah, you're an excellent skater out there. I, um, none of this is scripted. I did not tell him to say that. Um, yeah. So, welcome to Adult Chicken Day. Adult Chicken Day. What do you think makes a good mom? Well... Now you're the kind of tough um, cushion, but carry on. Well, no, the, the question would be for you to answer. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so you carry on. I know um, it's a tough question, but what makes a good mom? Just always, she always just, my mom protects me. She always just, always just smile every single day. And she always just vibe out with me. I vibe out. <laughs> um, and we always just skate together and have fun. And only whenever mommy learn a trip, I always be happy for her. And yeah, that 
at the story of Mellow's Day today, and you have a good day. Tell anything last to say to the camera, anything last to say to the microphone. Well, I, I have a question for oh, you, Sandler. Yep, sure. I know you said a couple of times that we vibe out, which we do, and we we like to dance, right? Uh-huh. I'm a good dancer. Yeah, I was going to say we're pretty good dancers, aren't we? Now, I, and we skate together, and I certainly don't skate as, as well as you because you're amazing and you're so good at it, but you inspired me to skate because you are so good and you work so hard to become as good as you are. But all of that aside, all the fun stuff that we we do every single day yeah every single day and i thank you for saying i always smile that's oh, a nice compliment oh, yeah, no <laughs> but what are the really important things like do, do you think that i help and she, and she a good um um teacher and um um she good um at um working with me at, at life school at life school. Okay, that's a good that's a good thing to bring up. We uh, do life school. Oh wait, no, can I? Yeah, yeah. It, this um, is you. We do life school, and we do all about um, learning how to do other spicy life school. Um, all about. Um, oh, life, all about life school. Uh huh. We we. Which do life, entails what? What um, is life school? Uh um. We learn how to do life. Other, that's very true like we have we learn how to kind of navigate navigate life school navigate unexpected yeah navigate unexpected uh-huh. events we we always go vacation we always go on vacation <laughs> but we do include life school on yeah. vacation yeah, like we, we yeah. see different things we see different skate park and, and uh, different skate parks uh-huh Life school involves a lot of skating, skating, education about skating, education about skating with different communities. Yeah, with different people. Different people. Different community and different um, um, program of skating. A different program of yeah. skating. Yeah, that's... I mean, yeah, that that that, learn how, that people learn how to skate. Yeah, we Sandler's favorite thing in the entire world is skating, and we're gonna we're gonna touch on that in the next episode. It will uh-huh. be all about skating. So this is a great segue to that. Uh-huh. No, it really is. It really is. Um, okay. Um, I think that it for me today. Okay. Do you want to go grab your sister uh, so she can me. she can talk about a next um Mother's Day? Mother's sure. Day. Yeah. Thanks. All right, bye. Um, good to see you all. You have a good day. Don't have a good day. Have a dope day. Oh, that's our motto. Don't have a good day. Have a dope day. Go get your dope sister. Okay, and this is Bootsy Chase. She's hands down probably one of the coolest girls in the entire world. Right, Boots? Yeah. All right. Now, Bootsy, in lieu of Mother's Day, it's a really important holiday because this will be her second Mother's Day as a dog mom, correct? Yeah. Bootsy's favorite thing in the entire world, I think, but I'm going to let her speak for herself, is... Kevin. Kevin. Kevin is who? My dog. Your dog. And what's special about Kevin? Can you tell me a little bit about Kevin? 
I mean, I know all about Kevin, but everybody else doesn't know about Kevin. He's special to me. He's special to you, wife. He cuddles me and kisses me and gives me love. And when did you get Kevin? Christmas. This Christmas? Last Christmas. Last Christmas. Okay, tell more about Kevin. What kind of dog is he? Labradoodle. Is he behaved? A little bit. A little, a little a bit. Sometimes. He's got work to do on his manners. Yeah. But he sure loves you. Yeah. And what's important about being a mom to Kevin? I take care of him and bathe him. And Does he get him. dirty? Yeah. And smelly? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of like kids. He, he pees on himself. And he pees on himself. Yeah. Well, he's got a lot of fur. Yeah. And he's he's working on getting that down. Yeah. Yeah. Are you working on training, Kevin? Mm-hmm. How's that going? Not good. <laughs> but if you do a lot of hard work, mm-hmm. what do you what do you want to say to Kevin as his mom? I'm the best mom to him. You are the best mom to him. And what what do you think, Kevin, if he could talk and use his words, what would Kevin say? My mom loves me. I think you're exactly right. Yeah. Well. And I give him, he gives me lots of kiddos, cuddles and kisses. He's a very cuddly, kissy dog, isn't he? Yeah. And he's handsome. Very handsome. Very handsome. And every time when I get boo-boos, he kisses them. He does. He takes good care of your boo-boos, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, happy Mother's Day, doggy Mother's Day to you. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I love you, sweetie. I love you, Mom. Please tune in next week for episode number five of Adult Chicken. It is a episode about my third favorite thing in the whole entire universe, first two being my kids. It's about skateboarding. Let's just say skateboarding completes our family. Please like, subscribe, share, follow. You can find me at adultchicken.com. Make sure you get the .com in there. You're going to get a lot of pictures of adult chickens and information about adult chickens. And if that's your thing, cool. That's where you find them. Also, you can find me on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, as well as Instagram, adult underscore chicken. And yes, I've gotten high-tech fancy, progressive, advanced, TikTok adult underscore chicken. Look forward to continuing to air my dirty laundry, share all of my stories, and I guess essentially continue to throw myself under the bus and make you laugh at my expense. (laughs) Enjoy.